FM and KXRWLP Vancouver at 99.9 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. X-Ray. Tracy Long was always healthy until she had a birth control device implanted. Now she's going under the knife to get it out. Because of these implants, I have to have invasive surgery and lose body organs. And she's worried, what else could go wrong? What if I never wake up from this? And really just the fear of the unknown. On the next Reveal. X-Ray. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Tracy Long used to look forward to exercising every day, but a few years ago, it became an ordeal. I have a neighbor that I would run with, and I would always say to her, I feel like my internal organs are bruised and, like, bumping each other when I run. And the symptoms piled up. Numbness, swelling. She visited several doctors. I was kind of flip-flop back and forth between my OBGYN and my primary care physician, neither one able to find anything. What was wrong? A permanent contraceptive device called Eshore. It was supposed to make her life easier, but instead made her sick. Everybody kind of thinks, if you could go back in time and change something, what would it be? I would go back and say, do not do it. On this episode of Reveal, the problem with Eshore. But first, this news. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Back in May, reporter Jennifer Block and Reveal producer Fernanda Camarena flew across the country, hailed a cab, and pulled into a resort hotel. Oh, there. There he goes. Okay. A middle-aged man who could easily pass for your high school math teacher got in. Hi. Finally got sunny and nice, right? I know, it did. Yes. It, did. it warmed up. They, they turned he was willing to talk, yeah. but there were conditions. They had to meet in a city where he was traveling for business, and he didn't want any colleagues to see him talking to a reporter, so they went into a hotel room and drew the shades. So I, I know we probably have to close the door, but just for yeah. a, one point, a minute. He wanted to talk about something that's bothered him for years. When, when you see failures like this in the field, it's, it's like, oh, uh, who missed what? Uh, how, how did that happen? Was it a lazy person? Was it somebody trying to get greedy and just put stuff out? This is Roger. He's a medical device engineer, and he's talking about a product he used to work on. Oh, and we're calling him Roger because he's bound by confidentiality agreements. Back in the early 2000s, he was hired to work on something called Eshore. If you know you're done having children, maybe it's time for Assure, a simple permanent birth control solution performed in a doctor's office in less than an hour, without hormones cutting or the risks of getting your tubes tied. When it went on the market in 2002, Eshore was a game-changer in the world of contraception. For women, the only other option for permanent birth control, besides convincing their male partner to get a vasectomy, was surgery to have their tubes tied. Eshore promised to make it easy. No surgery, no scars, just a 30-minute visit to the doctor's office to implant a small device in the fallopian tubes that would prevent pregnancy forever. But when Roger began working on Eshore, flags went up. This was a complex device, and it had to be assembled in a very specific way. He remembers visiting the Eshore plant near San Francisco and noticing they weren't following the same process he was told to follow. If somebody made perfect blueberry pancakes, uh, 
And they said, take my recipe to your kitchen and now you make perfect pancakes. Only they had a different oven, they had a different mixer, they had a different cook, and, and it's still supposed to work. But when you start changing enough things, you can have problems. Roger said he had testy conversations with the supervisors, but at the end of the day, he did his job as best he could. Still, he saw other problems with the device, and he remembers one day when Eshore came up in casual conversation. One of my wife's uh, softball friends was like, oh, yeah, I, I got you sure. And I'm thinking, oh, really? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure that was such a great idea. <laughs> she was like, you're kidding me. And I was like, look it, um, you know, we were looking at that and we're doing stuff with it, but, ugh, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Roger left the company more than a decade ago and can't speak to whether the process improved. But now, years later, hundreds of thousands of women all over the world have had Eshore implanted, and Roger's fears have turned into news headlines. More than 16,000 official complaints or adverse event reports have been filed with the FDA for problems like bleeding, allergic reactions, and the device puncturing other organs. Those reports include four deaths. For more than a year, Jennifer Block has been looking into Eshore in partnership with the nonprofit newsroom, The Investigative Fund. She recently went to Camillus, New York, a small town outside of Syracuse, to meet one woman who says the device caused her problems. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Tracy. Nice to meet you, I'm Jennifer. Hello. Hello. My husband, Tom, son, Jordan, son, Gatano. Hi. Seeing Tracy Long for the first time, you wouldn't think she's sick. She's quick to smile. She looks fit and is high energy as she leads me through the airy suburban house. This used to be one great open room. So we divided it into two, and we made this the workout room. So we have the elliptical machine and the treadmill and the weight bench, and those are TRX bands over there. We sound like we could have a gym here and charge people, right? She's into exercise and healthy eating. She's 41, and she and her husband, Tom, have four kids. What do you think you're going to see when we go? Good view. Good view. After their last child was born 10 years ago, they knew they were done. Tracy wanted something permanent to prevent pregnancy. She didn't want to take a pill every day. She saw an ad for Eshore, read about it online, and decided it sounded good. The procedure went fine, and she soon forgot about the implant. Then, a few months later, her face went numb. She thought she was having a stroke. It turned out to be a severe kind of migraine. Over the next few years, she battled brain fog and fatigue. She chalked it up to being a tired mom. Then things got worse. I felt tired all the time and achy and sore. And I have a neighbor that I would run with. And I would always say to her, I feel like my internal organs are bruised and like bumping each other when I run. She had joint pain, circulation issues, and swelling. Then came more intimate problems. Um, intercourse with my husband is so painful. My abdomen would feel inflamed and swollen just to try to, like, cuddle together in bed if he were to wrap his around, arm around my abdomen. It would hurt, and I would say, you know, please get your hand off my stomach. So it did create a bit of a distance, and there are, you know, times where there's fighting and talk of divorce, and like, okay, well, we're never intimate. We don't cuddle. 
As the symptoms piled up, she went to her doctors. I was kind of flip-flop back and forth between my OBGYN and my primary care physician, neither one able to find anything, and they would kind of send me to the other. And you start to feel like maybe you're a little crazy. So Tracy tried to figure it out for herself. So here's my journal. She took out her pen and an 8 by 10 daily appointment book and began to write down everything she did, everything she ate, everything she felt, every single day. She filled three separate volumes. You know, one thing I always tracked was my period. And like, here's, this is October of 16. Look at my period started the 14th. And here's the 23rd and I was still bleeding. If I had a bowel movement, um, what time it was, um, what time I went to bed. Wow, look at that. The, the, the boxes are like completely filled with your writing. So I literally tracked everything. Tracy studied all her notes looking for patterns, connections. Then it hit her. Her symptoms started soon after she got the Eshore implant. She started Googling. Then I came across the, uh, it's an Eshore Facebook page, Eshore Problems. And that was eye-opening. It was like reading my own diary or something. I just was like reading about myself. It wasn't just her. Thousands and thousands of women had posted on the page with their own stories, some far worse than hers. The eShore page that Tracy found was created by another woman who had severe complications with the device, Angie Fermolino. So I wanted to warn my female friends and family members about my experience and the device, but I didn't want to post it on my personal page and have men see it. So I saw this little option that you could make a group. So I made a group. And I called it eShare Problems, and I added my female friends and family members from Facebook and kind of told my story and said, hey, stay away from this device. It snowballed from there. Friends of friends started posting their stories, then strangers. There were women with chronic pain and bleeding. There were women whose devices had moved out of their fallopian tubes and punctured other organs. There were women who'd gotten pregnant. They call themselves E-Sisters, and they created an anti-Ishore movement. Today, the Facebook group has nearly 35,000 members, women from all over the world who have problems like Tracy's, and worse. How could a contraceptive, something meant to help women have more control over their bodies, lead to this? The E-Sisters wanted answers. Angie says the most active members started by Googling. And I think the first thing that we came across was the transcript of the approval meeting for Esher from 2002. We found it on the FDA website. We printed it out. It was like five or 600 pages. And we're all reading it simultaneously, you know, across the United States, texting each other, oh my God, did you get to this part yet? Soon they were filing freedom of information requests and asking for meetings with the FDA. There was just so much information in there that we just had so many questions and that kind of launched us into this we-have-to-investigate mode. They traced Esher's genesis back to the late 1980s, which actually wasn't about preventing pregnancies. It was about making babies. Here is a card letting me know that she conceived after the procedure and has a little girl and she has knitted a mermaid outfit. 
Dr. Amy Thurmond pioneered a procedure to unblock the fallopian tubes without surgery, so she gets a lot of thank yous from mothers. For those of you who can't remember back to high school anatomy class, the fallopian tubes are where sperm reach an egg after traveling through a woman's uterus. They're just a millimeter wide and a few inches long. The tiniest particle can block them. Women all over the world were able to conceive thanks to Dr. Thurmond, and she spoke at many conferences. And at one of those, I was approached by a researcher, Julian Nikolchev, who wanted to develop a device for the opposite purpose, not for unblocking the tubes in women who had infertility, but for blocking the tubes to prevent conception. Nikolchev hired Dr. Thurman to begin testing prototypes. And we got together and tested a variety of products in the fallopian tubes of rabbits. We tested a chemical material uh, similar to crazy glue. We tried something that some crazy Czech guy came up with in his basement um, that he thought would work. What ended up working was a tiny metal ribbon wrapped around a coil, which was wound with Dacron fiber, the polyester that became popular in the 70s for not wrinkling. Nikolchev raised $35 million to develop the device and started a company called Conceptus. We spent a very sweaty summer trying to get these devices into rabbits. The Dacron fibers inflamed the fallopian tubes in the rabbits, causing scar tissue to surround the device. This would close off the tubes and block the sperm. Thurman's research led the FDA to greenlight clinical trials in women in 1998. Because Esure is not a drug, it would go through the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health, which several experts told us has a lower standard for approval. Drugs must prove themselves with controlled clinical trials, which means researchers study two groups, one that gets the drug and one that doesn't. Devices only need to show what's called reasonable assurance of safety and effectiveness, which is open to interpretation. And researchers point out some major problems with the Eshore study. It was too small, it didn't last long enough, and it had no control group. Researchers say they should have compared the women with Eshore to a group of women who had their tubes tied. So that, that really kind of um, limits your confidence in, in, in the device itself because you only have that one group to kind of look at and think about. That's Dr. Steve Zhu. He's published studies on high-risk OBGYN devices, including Esure, and found what he calls significant weaknesses in how they're approved. Another problem with Esure's study, he says, is that the company lost track of or excluded about one-fifth of the participants. What if they had problems or got pregnant? So that missing data may, may sort of be deceptively positive about the device uh, rather than um, truly reflecting the risks and benefits of the technology. After the clinical trials, the next step was an approval hearing. That happened in July of 2002. And the focus of our comments today is on what women need to know to make an informed choice for Assure. And here again, critics say the FDA's process is flawed. The agency receives fees from pharmaceutical companies to review their products. In exchange, pharma lobbies for and gets a more streamlined approval process. The revolving door between the two is always turning. In fact, the company representative who presented Ashore to the FDA panel sat on that same committee just a few years before. The FDA wouldn't talk to us, 
but answered questions via email. When we asked about this apparent conflict of interest, it responded that industry reps don't vote in approval hearings. At the end of the hearing in 2002, the panel recommended approval of the device. And four months later, the FDA made it official. It's a popular birth control option for women who don't want to have their fallopian tubes tied. It's called Eshure. It took a few years, but Eshure caught on in OBGYN offices and clinics like Planned Parenthood. Some doctors, like Dr. Barbara Levy, say it was a game changer. What I will say is, as a practicing gynecologist for almost 30 years, that having an alternative to invasive surgery for women who wanted permanent contraception was something I'm really passionate about. Dr. Levy is vice president of health policy at the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She implanted a few dozen insurers in patients while in private practice and was also a consultant to its manufacturer, Conceptus, for 10 years. Eshure also had advantages for doctors. Physicians get a higher fee for Eshure. They can do the procedure in their offices instead of at the hospital, and it takes less time. A chart used by Eshure sales reps estimated that physicians would net about $1,100 from private insurance. That's more than double the 500 they'd get for doing the surgery, known as tubal ligation. Health advocates say there's a financial incentive for physicians to sell it over other options. Well, that's actually not true. That's actually not true. Levy argues that physicians get reimbursed not just for their time, but also for the cost of the equipment needed to implant it. So you wouldn't say that that's an incentive for physicians? It's the most efficient way to provide a service for women, but I don't think that it's a huge incentive because the infrastructure costs to be able to do something in the office is a big investment. But over time, that investment is paid off. Plus, Eshure is cheaper for insurance companies because they don't have to pay hospital fees. The pharma giant Bayer bought Conceptus in 2013. The company wouldn't talk to us on tape, but said that more than 750,000 devices have been sold, mostly in the United States. They point to this number as evidence that Eshure works for the majority of women. So then what's making women like Tracy and the thousands of E-sisters so sick? Roger, the engineer we met at the beginning of the story, saw clues early on. So what is this? What are we looking at? Well, this is, this is the uh, nitinol. And so this end down here is what will get soldered. We're looking at an early engineering diagram for Eshure that we got a hold of. And that word, nitinol, that Roger just used is one of the metals in Eshure. It's made from titanium and nickel. Nickel is a known toxin and can make people sick. What makes nitinol safe for medical use is how its surface is treated to trap the nickel inside. But, uh, you know, if there's a wear point, if there's a fracture, if you've got uh, sharp edges that could propagate a fracture, you know, there's all these potential failure modes. Roger explains that repeated stress on a device can wear down the material, which can lead to breakage. He says companies typically do something called fatigue testing to make sure that an implanted device will hold up for decades. In fact, the FDA requires it for other implants, like hip joints and heart stents. Researchers build machines that simulate 10 years of wear in a matter of months. Roger wonders if this was done for Eshore. Uh, I don't know what they did to mimic 
you know, <laughs> what's going on down there, you know? I mean, how many different uh, environmental uh, activities were they able to replicate? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We looked for evidence of this type of testing in the materials the FDA has on Esure, but we didn't find it. So we asked the FDA, but the agency would not answer questions about whether fatigue tests were done. Bayer also would not answer questions about fatigue testing, citing proprietary information. Roger worried about this, not only because the device could fall apart and end up in other parts of the body, but because the nitinol metal could break down, allowing the nickel to escape. And nickel can be absorbed by the body. Which could cause exactly the kind of problems that Tracy and the E sisters are suffering from. Eshore's FDA filing reported a small amount of nickel leaching, less than other implanted products on the market. Bayer told us the same thing. Over the past few years, thousands of women have decided to have Eshore removed, including Tracy Long, who made the decision this spring. She learned that it was going to be a lot more complicated than having it put in. Tracy would need a hysterectomy. She'd lose her uterus and cervix along with the device. I've never had surgery before. I'm frustrated that because of these implants that were non-invasive, that now I have to have invasive surgery and lose body organs to get them out. This is from an audio diary Tracy recorded the day before her surgery. So it's very scary and confusing and really just the fear of the unknown. So this right here is a consent form. This is specific for the anesthesia that we're going to administer for you, okay? Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a general anesthetic and robotic-assisted hysterectomy. The next morning, Tracy's at the hospital with her doctor, Myron Luthringer. So first off, tell me what we're doing today. So we're doing the right thing. Yeah, hysterectomy. Okay. Keeping the ovaries. Okay. Um, everything that comes out does go to pathology. Okay. There was a brief time years ago when Dr. Luthringer implanted Esure devices. Now he removes one or two per week. Sometimes he can take out just the device and the fallopian tubes, but he says it's not easy. That's because the coils actually embed into the corners of the uterus itself, which is hard to repair. The metal is fragile and difficult to get out. So are the Dacron fibers. So on a lot of the patients, when I'm doing surgery now, and when I open up the tubes, I'm not seeing a lot of those intact fibers. I think they've been absorbed by the body. Dr. Luthringer and other doctors think the fibers may also be causing autoimmune reactions. I asked the doctor if he knows of any other device that intentionally causes an inflammatory response and scarring. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, the only thing that I could consider that people would put in their body that could be toxic would be probably something more like chemotherapy. I mean, is this, is this worth it for birth control? Well, that's an answer that the patients definitely have to think about. Okay. Oh. You ready? I guess as ready as I'm going to be. Not it's time for Tracy's surgery, and the anesthesiologist injects something into her IV. A nurse wheels her out of the room. She says goodbye to her husband, Tom, who's by her side. Hmm. Love I you. love you. We go to the waiting room with Tom, who sits down, opens his laptop, and tries to do some work. Then I ask him how he's feeling. You know, she is 
I'm pretty sure she warned you about this, but she's my best friend. Now, right now I can't even talk, so. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to, you know, the, the unit that we, that we were, the team that we have been. And, you know, it's not, not that we're still not, but it's, there's components missing, you know, that, that um, we're, I think we're both hopeful that this will bring back. And we wait with Tom as the clock ticks. About two hours have gone by when Dr. Luthringer comes through the heavy door. So we're doing good. Okay. Okay, everything seemed to go fine. I did not see anything unusual, complicated. Did exactly what we planned on. These days, women considering Eshore have a lot more information than Tracy did. And it's mostly because of the E-Sisters Facebook group. Their research and persistence is likely what convinced the FDA to hold a hearing about Esure in 2015. Several E-Sisters spoke about their problems. And so did immunologists and toxicologists who had tough questions for Bayer and the FDA. How do we not have data on nickel allergy when we have a device that's 55% nickel and 20% of women on approximate numbers are known to be nickel allergic? Why is there no data? How can you put this in your package insert and have no clue? In 2016, the FDA ordered Bayer to add what's called a boxed warning to Assure's patient materials. It's the first thing you see when you go to Assure.com now, and it includes warnings about the device migrating and perforating organs, possible allergic reactions, and persistent pain. It also added a four-page checklist that needs to be reviewed and signed by both patient and doctor. Dr. Barbara Levy says her group, the American Congress of OBGYNs, opposes both the warning and the checklist. We understand that there were many concerns about the Assure device. Um, we share those concerns and we want good science behind whatever investigation occurs. And so our position was that the black box warning was placed before we had that evidence to really make an, a good decision about the labeling. Is it fair? Is it fair to say that the science perhaps should have been done at the time that this product was going before the FDA for approval? That it's you know so many years later and we somehow don't know. Um, when you do pivotal trials for FDA approval of a drug or a device, those trials of necessity are done on a relatively small number of people compared to the number of people who will ultimately use the product. And even though you do the best science you can for approval, in the end, that post-marketing surveillance is critically important. The FDA recently ordered Bayer to conduct a larger study this time with a control group. The results are due in 2023. Tracy was able to go home the evening of her surgery, and the next day I get a text inviting me to come visit. We're shocked when she answers the door. Hi, good morning. But she quickly returns to lying on the nearby couch. Okay. So how are you feeling today? Tired. Um, I definitely slept for 
pretty much the past 24 hours, which is amazing to me. I definitely feel more physical impact and just mentally I'm exhausted. The unknown is still scary to me because will this make things better? Tracy is optimistic by nature, but today it's sinking in that no matter what, she won't get her old body back. I think everybody kind of thinks, if you could go back in time and change something, what would it be? Because you know it would have a ripple effect on all of your life. So, yeah, I would go back and say, do not do it. On the E-Sisters Facebook page, women regularly post pictures from their hospital beds, holding a handwritten sign that says E-Free and the date. Many feel better almost immediately. In one published study, three-quarters of women who had the device removed reported almost total relief from their symptoms. For the E-Sisters and Tracy, relief will only come when he sure is off the market. In June, Bear pulled Eshore from the market in Finland, the Netherlands, and Canada. They said it was because of low sales, nothing to do with safety. A representative wrote that the company would also stop selling Eshore in most of the countries in Europe, Latin America, and in the Asia-Pacific. Now, that's almost everywhere but the U.S. Our story was reported by Jennifer Block in partnership with the Investigative Fund and produced by Fernanda Camarena. To find out more about Eshore, check out Jennifer's companion story in the Washington Post magazine. As we just heard through Tracy's story, birth control can come with serious complications. And sometimes, it just doesn't work. But depending on where a woman lives, it might be difficult to end an unwanted pregnancy. In states like Texas, it's become so difficult to get an abortion that women are sidestepping doctors, clinics, and the law. Find out what they're doing next on Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX. This is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. We just heard about what can go wrong with a contraceptive device. But getting contraception and reproductive health care can also be hard depending on where you live. El Paso, Texas is one of those places. Reporter Suki Lewis met up with a man named Franz Thayer. Wait a minute, what is all this? He frowns and shakes his head a little as she sets up her recorder and microphone. Like, I could tell that you are a bit suspicious of me. Yeah. Um, do you have to be careful about who you talk yeah, to? Obviously. So you come in here and you bring all these microphones. I don't want to be 
uh, giving an interview to the Drudge Report or some of this weird stuff. Thayer is suspicious of journalists. He's faced personal harassment. His kids have been bullied in school. The locks were glued shut on his business. This all because of his job and where he does it. Actually, as it turns out, I'm the last of the Mohicans. I am the last OB GYN physician in the county of El Paso, Texas, who still performs medical and surgical abortions. Texas is a hard place to be an abortion doctor. Politicians here have passed some of the toughest anti-abortion laws in the country. In 2013, the governor signed HB2, a law that put a bunch of new restrictions on abortion clinics. More than half the state's providers closed. Yes, we almost got shut down twice. This was blocked on appeal. In 2016, the Supreme Court overturned HB2, saying it put an undue burden on women seeking abortions. But many clinics are still closed. And the barriers don't stop there. If you're a woman in Texas trying to get an abortion, your insurance may not cover it. You may have to wait weeks to get an appointment. You may have to travel more than 300 miles to reach the nearest clinic. Thayer says these obstacles are driving some women to take matters into their own hands. We don't see as much volume as we used to. One of the issues we have is uh, the fact that we're in the border. So the word's out what to do. Reporter Suki Lewis takes us to El Paso to learn how women are going across the border to bypass laws, picketers, and even the clinics. Um, so here we are, going across the border from El Paso into Juarez. I'm retracing the steps of other women who've made this trip. They travel from Texas, where abortion is technically legal but hard to access. Okay, so now we just pass through the security point to Mexico, where abortion is technically illegal, but in some ways easier to get. What I'm looking for is a drug called misoprostol. It was originally developed to treat ulcers, but women also use it to end their pregnancies. My translator, Laura Camarena, is helping me search for pharmacies that might sell it. Okay, so you want to visit like uh, small pharmacies or like big pharmacies? Maybe we'll try a couple of each. Okay. The story goes that back in the 1980s, a woman in Brazil, where abortion is banned, read the fine print on the packaging for this medication. It warned, do not take if pregnant, may cause miscarriage. She took it, and it did just that. It caused a miscarriage. She told other women who had unwanted pregnancies, and soon word started to spread from women in Brazil to women in Chile, up through Central America, to women here in Mexico. We start our search on the outskirts of town, thinking a small neighborhood pharmacy might be more willing to bend the rules. See, it's perfectly legal to sell the drug to ulcer patients, but it's not supposed to be sold for abortions. We pull up to what looks like a suburban strip mall just as a woman in a colorful cotton summer dress unlocks the front door of a pharmacy. Laura explains I'm a journalist from the United States. <laughs> Can you tell me how often do you sell the drug misoprostol or Cytotec? The pharmacist tells me she just has one box and that she doesn't really sell it to people because she doesn't want to get shut down. She says some pharmacies were busted last year. 
but they do have calls coming in very often asking for the medication. And many of these calls are from women in El Paso. Thank you so much for taking the time. We decide to head downtown, looking for a pharmacist less concerned with the rules. Misoprostol can be risky for women to take on their own. If they don't take enough, it doesn't work. For some women, it can cause really heavy bleeding. But if it's taken in the first nine weeks, it's considered a safe and effective way to end pregnancy. It was actually approved by the FDA in 2000, along with another drug called mifepristone as a two-drug combo. That's called a medical abortion. But in the U.S., this has to be administered by clinics. Laura and I park in downtown Juarez. Tarp-covered stalls line the streets, where vendors are selling all kinds of things. Big bundles of chili, toilet paper and children's clothes, fried pork rinds, toys. Laura points me to another pharmacy, but the woman behind the counter shakes her head. Okay, okay. This happens at a couple of pharmacies. I get the sense they're suspicious of my microphone, or maybe just of me. In one store, a woman says they've got the medication, then the store manager steps in and says they don't. But in another shop, a guy tells us there's a few pharmacies that sell misoprostol, no questions asked. They're down near the bridge that connects downtown Juarez to El Paso. All right, so this one is like really close to the border crossing, just like maybe 100 yards or something like that. A few minutes later, Laura and I come back out onto the street. So we went in there, and the woman behind the counter said that she does sell it frequently. Um, what else did she say? She, she sold out right now. She doesn't get uh, more until Monday. And it's 1,300 pesos, which is around $100. You don't need a medical prescription here. Wow. And this isn't the only place. Before we head back, we find three pharmacies that sell it, no prescription needed, and for a fraction of the price. It's hard to know just how many women make that same journey from El Paso into Juarez to buy abortion pills. But researchers at the University of Texas at Austin did a survey and estimated that between 100,000 and 240,000 women in Texas have tried to self-abort at some point in their lives. And is it something that you would do if you needed to? Absolutely. Especially if I was in Texas and I had to deal with all of the restrictions, I would absolutely use um, abortion pills at home. That's 19-year-old Kayla King. Just so you know, she's not pregnant. So I grew up in the town called Dripping Springs. It's about 30 miles west of Austin. She's been studying in California, but soon she's transferring back to the University of Texas at Austin near her hometown. She's an advocate for the reproductive rights of young women who grew up like her, in the dark. When I got my period, my mom relayed to me a story that her mom said when she got her period, which is, oh, we got to keep the boys away from you now. And we never really had conversations about contraceptions, how to use them, whatever, whatever. It was just, you know, if you get pregnant, like, we will not pay for an abortion. In college, Kayla started canvassing for Planned Parenthood. She believed in the cause, but soon found the work exhausting, sometimes scary, 
And politically, it was frustrating, too. Day after day, you know, we would read the news at work. You know, here's our one piece of good news, two pieces of bad news. Um, Almost every day, it seemed like. So I was very tired of feeling like I couldn't win reproductive battles in the courts. Then she saw an article online that changed everything. I saw that they were using drones to deliver abortion pills across borders. Activists were using drones to fly in abortion pills to women in Ireland where abortion is illegal. To Kayla, this looked like a way around the courts and the lawmakers. She started volunteering for a group that does research and advocacy called Plan C. They want to make abortion pills accessible to everyone. And our idea of self-induced abortion needs to change with the revolution of Plan C and that it's not bitter herbs and co-hangers anymore. It's a safe, effective pill. It's a revolution that's taking place across borders, but also online. So um, I'm pregnant in Texas and I have no options. I might Google like abortion pills online. So a bunch of websites pop up. Some of the top hits are safe to choose and women help women. Like Plan C, these sites were started by advocates looking to make abortion accessible and safe in places it's restricted. They've got gestational age calculators so women can make sure they're not too far along and medical questionnaires to help women identify pre-existing conditions that might cause a bad reaction. The Women Help Women site has 24-hour online support for people who've taken the pills, like the ones sold in Mexico. These sites also sell the pills, but won't ship to the U.S. because buying them online here isn't legal. Still, other sites look like they will ship here. So right now I'm on Facebook. I see cheap clinic abortion pills for sale, um, 50% off, which seems sketchy to me. The FDA says it's not safe to buy pills online because there's no way of knowing if they're fake or even harmful. National Right to Life Movement spokesman Dr. Randall O'Bannon thinks groups like Plan C are being irresponsible, promoting something that's dangerous for women. There are people who have been promoting websites, trying to say where women can call in for information about how they can get these pills and uh, use them for themselves. There are plenty of sites uh, online which uh, advertise and try to sell some of these pills, which may or may the quality is, is, is unknown. He tells me these sites gloss over the health risks abortion pills can cause. O'Bannon brings up a really serious complication that can occur. Women with undetected ectopic pregnancies can hemorrhage and even die from a medical abortion. That is super rare, but he says advocates hype these pills as no big deal. Every time you turn around, there's someone who's trying to advocate for it being uh, sold over the counter drug stores. Even some doctors are working on making abortion drugs available over the counter. We're actually going to start exploring that through some research. Dr. Daniel Grossman teaches obstetrics and gynecology at the University of California at San Francisco. He says some preliminary research shows that women can self-induce abortion in a safe and effective way, with some caveats. You know, provided they have accurate information, provided they have access to backup care, things like that. I don't have many medical concerns about women doing this on their own. Um, I am really concerned about the legal risks that women may be assuming by doing this on their own. He means they may end up in jail. 
In 2014, a woman in Pennsylvania pled to a felony for getting the pills online for her teenage daughter. She was given a 9- to 18-month sentence in jail, and she's not the only one. If more women choose to bypass clinics in favor of home abortions, he says prosecutions might increase. But there could also be consequences for clinics that do abortions. Yes, I'm concerned that potentially this could move women out of a clinic into doing this on their own and that clinics won't be able to survive if they're just taking care of of women who are past 10 weeks of pregnancy. I reached out to Planned Parenthood and they declined to talk to me. But a lot of the reproductive health folks I did talk to said providers have been fighting for women's access to safe clinical care for so long, they're cautious about embracing the idea of home abortion. But Kayla King says it's not a matter of clinics or pills, but a vital option for women in Texas. Kayla went back home for a visit recently. I was talking to my best friend. She's not very politically involved, and she was shocked that this was an option. I mean, a lot of women don't even know that this is a possibility. For a long time, this possibility was spread slowly by word of mouth, woman to woman. But that's changing. Now women can learn about it online, regardless of borders or the laws where they live. And as the word gets out, it's got the potential to upend the political and legal debate around abortion access. That story was from reporter Suki Lewis. In the meantime, legislators in Texas are still passing laws that limit abortion. This year, Governor Greg Abbott signed a law requiring the burial of fetal remains. This will up the cost of an abortion by at least $500, putting it further out of reach for many women. At the same time, Texas is one of several states that spends taxpayer dollars on a very different kind of support for women with unwanted pregnancies. You might call them anti-abortion clinics. We'll take you inside one of these crisis pregnancy centers next on Reveal, from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX. This is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Women who want to end their pregnancies aren't the only ones going around the established system of doctors and clinics. The anti-abortion rights movement is doing it too, with what they call crisis pregnancy centers. 
To paint the picture for people who don't think they know what a crisis pregnancy center is, I always like to describe the signs on the highway that say, like, are you scared and pregnant? Call 1-800 and then a number. Those are crisis pregnancy centers. That's filmmaker Macy Crow. She got a rare first-hand look inside one of these centers. It happened after she read an article about an attempt to shut down the last abortion clinic in Mississippi. I was in between projects. Um, I didn't have anything that week, so I flew down there. Within 48 hours of reading the article, she was in front of Mississippi's last abortion clinic with her video camera, shooting what would become a documentary film. Here's Macy. When you show up at the clinic, you see people outside holding all types of signs, anywhere from don't kill your baby to, like, abortion is murder to giant aborted fetuses that are like six feet tall. It's like running a gauntlet just to get in the door. Um, As you see in the film, uh, one of the protesters, Roy, who is on the sidewalks, starts running after a couple of women as they exit the clinic. Uh, If you're pregnant, please take and read this information. Mommy, mommy, please don't kill me, mommy. If they're able to get a woman's attention and the woman stops and talks to them, then they're more calm. First thing we want people to know is bad for the women. And then secondly, and very importantly, there are free centers that are called crisis pregnancy centers. We help them stay with them. We sign people to them. Everyone outside of the clinic, like if they believe a woman hasn't already aborted, their main goal is to get them to a crisis pregnancy center. Barbara Beavers is the director of the Crisis Pregnancy Center that we follow. It's actually now called the Center for Pregnancy Choices. We're a life-affirming agency. We want to affirm the choice for life and and help them um, make a choice for life. Barbara believes that abortion is a sin and thinks that women are going to be emotionally damaged, which is why she does everything in her power to stop women from aborting. You're deceiving yourself if you say you can kill your baby and it'd be good for you. That's just deception. That's not true. So crisis pregnancy centers try and dress themselves up to appear as medical clinics, but they're funded by the pro-life movement. So you get in there and they ask you questions like where you go to church. Do you believe in God? How many partners have you had? The first time I went in there, they uh, asked me if I was interested in being a born again virgin. I was at the Crisis Pregnancy Center and met a number of women. One of them was April Jackson. Hey, I'm doing okay. I had a appointment at 2 o'clock. I went with April when she went to get a sonogram at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. You can just have a seat right there, please. She was laying on the table as they do this sonogram. She's totally panicked, and she's actually hoping that they're not going to find a baby. You ready for me to turn on the big screen for you? Not really. And this is your baby right here. They do because she's pregnant. They find a fetus and the woman doing the sonogram immediately starts calling April mom. Now, I want to get you a picture today if you'd like one. You want one with hi mom on it? April doesn't answer, but the woman actually goes ahead and puts hi mom in big capital letters across the top of the sonogram. I cannot believe I'm pregnant. April later on told me that at one point when she went there early on, she was told that there were no abortion clinics in Mississippi. Women have also been told that they can get breast cancer from having an abortion, 
that they're not going to be able to get pregnant in the future. You know, at one point when I was in the crisis pregnancy center, they gave me total misinformation about the effectiveness of using a condom. Even used correctly, there's like a 20% failure rate. I thought if a condom's used correctly, it's 98% effective. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's correct. I'll find some of our data. <laughs> Send you some of that. You can look it out. There's a number of fundraisers um, that went on while we were making the film. I'm Barbara Beavers, and we are just so blessed to have each of you here. They had begun raising funds to open a crisis pregnancy center directly across the street from the abortion clinic. Having a place that's walking distance is huge because a lot of times these women are dropped off. That's the greatest need for the CPC to be as close to that abortion clinic as we can get it. I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many people were at this event writing checks. One thing that really surprised me, Barbara, she had invited the governor, Phil Bryant. He couldn't make it. So he actually sent someone who worked for him. He wanted me to come by and bring y'all a check. To bring a personal check. But he wanted me to apologize for him not being able to come out here. Yeah, we understand that. We're okay. I think it's a mutually beneficial relationship. You know, the pro-life movement is lifting up Phil Bryant and Phil Bryant's lifting up the pro-life movement. Since wrapping the film, the Crisis Pregnancy Center has opened up across the street from the clinic. At the time her film came out, Macy counted 38 crisis pregnancy centers in the state of Mississippi. There's still only one abortion clinic. Macy's documentary is called Jackson. You can watch it on Showtime at Showtime.com. Our story was produced by Stan Alcorn. Our show was edited by Taki Telenitas. Fernanda Camarena was our lead producer. Thanks to Deputy Editor Sarah Bluestain from the Investigative Fund. We also had help from reporter Erica Hellerstein. Our sound design team is the Wonder Twins. My man, Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Claire C. Milk Mullen. With help from Catherine Ray Mondo. Our head of studio is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Powell is our editor-in-chief. Suzanne Reber is our executive editor. And our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado. Lightning. Support for reveals provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember, there is always more to the story.
without a warning The blues walked in this morning 